but now we are recording. Bum 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 bum. Fuck. No, I don't want install updates. God damn it. Episode 360. No scope 360. That'd be awesome if I got shot in the fucking head right now. This podcast brought to you by me. Wearing a dope sweatshirt. Check this shit out. I mean, really. Blueprints of UFOs, an alien gray, Bob Lazar. I mean, I mean, look at that. It's it's better than anything you're going to fucking fuck. Fuck Gucci. Fuck Supreme. I mean, look at that shit. I mean, come on now. An antimatter reactor on my sleeve. Roswell newspaper. Fuck you. It's great. Fuck you. If, uh... If any, uh, I, I don't know. I'm running out of things to say. Fucking buy my merch, damn it. Or don't and be a pussy and be a communist. And that's what you are. You're a traitor to America if you don't buy my merchandise because that's how the free market works. Um, I'm listening to a book right now called. It is called. Come on, you stupid piece of shit. 1983 by Taylor Downing. Reagan and Drop Reagan and Dropov and A World on the Brink, nineteen eighty three. It's very good. And um Yeah, it's about I don't know, new I mean actually I really haven't heard a whole lot of new stuff to be honest. It does a very good uh right now it's on a chapter on uh Star Wars, the Strategic Defense Initiative. And um that's very hold on, let me do that a little bit. Is it too loud? I don't know. What, I, I need to get those headphones that I can wear while I'm doing it so I can hear how it sounds. But I don't know how to do that. And I don't particularly care right now. Um, but yeah, it has a good chapter on this uh, strategic defense initiative. And um, I actually haven't... There there aren't many books out there that, that are specifically about it. Not at, at least on Audible that I could find. I mean, there's a bunch of great Cold War books. Um, uh, Command and Control by Eric M. Schlosser. Raven Rock by Garrett M. Graff. Uh, the Dead Hand. Um, um, fuck, there are some other ones. I'm a little foggy right now. But they all kind of touch on different aspects of of the Cold War. Um, a little bit here and there, and there's I mean, there's only so much history. That's why I like Blitz by Norman Oler so much, is because it's this whole take on World War II that I'd never heard before. Whereas every other book about something like the Cold War or World War II, I mean, there's only so many books you can write. Um, not that the history isn't limitless, but rather the recorded history is. So I'm sure you could spend your entire life reading about World War II. And probably still learn. I mean, with World War Two, you can really kind of still learn a new fact about it every day, and not just like the number of loaves of bread that were eaten in Stalingrad on the second day of the siege. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's novel information in that, like, sure, but you know, that's like adding more digits to like pi. Like, yeah, it's novel information, but you know, it's not a cure for uh, Alzheimer's. It's just just more digits on pi. And I don't need anybody with a fucking attitude telling me the importance of pie. Fuck off. But 
so there's only so much information you can write and i've blitz is an exception there's a fantastic book raven rock also by garrett graff um raven rock by garrett graff blitz by norman oler those are two books that really covered a lot that i had never heard before and i mean in uh, college i was very interested in neuropsychopharmacology as a matter of fact that I have I have the book somewhere from college. Um, I never took the course, but I think the professor got fired for like synthesizing heroin off campus or something. That might be fake news. But yeah, I was always interested in, in drugs. I mean, before like like a bad interest. Before you know, before it was a bad interest, it was a good interest. The bad interest was like 2014 forward after my brother died and I just kind of indulged to cover up and drown all the sorrows without addressing the real problems. Before that though, I was interested in a nootropic sense and in a uh, uh, longevity sense. I mean, I took it, I was like, I was like Ray Kurzweil. I took shit every day. Fish oil, phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylserine, alpha lipoic acid, coenzyme Q10, uh, uh, GPC, alpha GPC, uh, which is a glossophosphocholine or some shit. Uh, sulforaphane, the active ingredient, or the, I guess the important antioxidant in, um, in broccoli. Uh, tons of shit. Um, because for a while, I was like, I'm going to be Ray Kurzweil. I'm going to live forever. And after four years of that and like several thousand dollars of supplements, I kind of realized that that wasn't, I don't know. One, it was like, I was like, I actually don't know what the side effects. And there was no like, it was all off the, over the counter shit. But I was finally like, you know what? This might be something where in 10 years, I realized like the amount of like vitamin D. I've been taking is actually toxic and this is going to shave years off my life so I figured I'll just resort to exercise somewhat caloric restriction meditate try to get good sleep every night and I think that's going to do more than 90% of that stuff could be wrong though you know this might be like in a hundred years someone could be looking at this like we'd look at someone from like the 1850s doing a podcast and then being like you know a lot of the guys are washing their wounds with like alcohol but you know like i'm just not trying to waste my time you know i don't i don't know why it's like a hacky late night show but um fuck where was i going with oh yeah drugs i was always interested in drugs um, in college, I was interested in like uh, in sort of the better living through chemistry, and not in like the not in like the the Xanax sense, or just like the you know take what's the uh, what's the happy drug in um, in Brave New World uh, Soma. It wasn't that. It was more interested in productivity. Very similar to you know this is a nice uh, this is a nice thing to take out of context. My interests were very similar to those of the Nazis. There's a nice clip. Hope to see that circling around in a couple of years. In that, I looked at it as this is another way to um, optimize the mind. And uh, for us as individuals, if you want to succeed, it is a. I wanted to do something hyper competitive. I wanted to, at the time, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. After that, I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. But I looked at it as, as it was total war. It wasn't just enough that I had A's in classes. I had to shadow doctors. I had to publish research. I had to volunteer at hospitals. I had to have letters of recommendation at the ass. I had to, you know, I held a chair in my fraternity and blah, 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 blah. Well, to me, it was no different that I had to wake up early and not just to study more, but to exercise. I had to exercise. 
Um, the, the, I mean, the effects of aerobic and anaerobic exercise on cognition and learning is insane. Exercise, then take a freezing cold shower, and then meditate. And I meditate for like 30, 40 minutes every morning, like watching the sun come up. To me, that wasn't just like, oh, it made me feel good. It was like, that was, that was a leg up on the competition. Like, I would not want to go against College Me. College Me was a psychopath. College Me would kick the, sh- the shit out of me right now. College Me also didn't have a life and was very unhappy. And so there are trade-offs. But in terms of the sense of just total war... I looked at as taking nootropics, staying healthy, keeping my mind sharp. I mean, I used to walk between class. I mean, I set up every class I had. So it was only Tuesdays and Thursdays unless I had a lab. So I spent the minimal amount of time on campus. I never went to lecture unless I had to. Studied at home, I could study more efficiently. I knew I could do a 90-minute block of studying followed by 20 to 30 minutes of meditation, 90-minute block, and I could do that thing for about 12 to 13 hours before I started diminishing returns. Um, when I went to campus, in between, walking between cl- and I not only not only would it be on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I'd also make sure the classes were back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. So again, I spent the minimal amount of time just walking around campus kind of, you know, dragging my feet. Uh, So I made it so each class is about 15 minutes apart. And in between classes, I would walk between classes and I'd have uh, flashcards on my phone, like PowerPoints. And uh, I would just memorize OCHEM, atomic spectroscopy, or sorry, nuclear spectroscopy, IR spectroscopy, all the wavelengths of carboxylic acids and, and ketones and aldehydes and benzene rings and benzoic acids and nitrates and nitrites. And um, organohalides and shit. So I didn't waste a second of any day. Again, if you're trying to be a doctor, well, not even then. I would say because I had friends that didn't do that and got into med school. I think they're smarter than me, but I also don't want to say that because I feel like that takes away from their hard work. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't really know what that that mode was useful for in college I think that probably I probably would have been better served going into the military that mindset of just no days off no time off it's nothing about but it's always just about gaining an edge I mean I think that probably would have been valued as like as as either like a like a tier one operator which let's just take that as a very general statement that's I could have been tier one, but I decided not to go. No, 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 no. By no means am I saying that. By I'm not trying to be that. Ugh, I could never deal with a drill sergeant because I'd punch him in the face as soon as he got up in my face. No, 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 no. I probably would have vomited, shit my pants, vomited, shit my pants, cried, and left. Maybe not in that order. But for the sake of the argument, as I'm sitting here in my Bob Lazar hoodie, I, I could have been tier one. <laughs> I'm foggy because I only got eight hours of sleep last night. I mean, Jesus. For the sake of argument, that mindset, I believe, probably would have been suited for that. You know, just the ultimate predator, hunter. Um, Does this have an effect? Sorry. Does this thing act as a poo filter or do I need that fucking... Do I need the actual poo filter thing? Guess we will see. I don't know. Um, I think it probably could have also been useful to go into like 
you know, officer training, trying to become like a general or something in the Pentagon or NORAD, I imagine that mindset would be useful. But man, it's, it's a, and you can derive pleasure from it. I found that there was sort of this like crossing point where, um, you know, it's like a lot of jet fuel is actually hard to ignite. Like, uh, is it JP four, JP seven, whatever the SR 71's jet fuel is like, you couldn't actually light it. Not like that. It was like it, you know, it was wasn't necessarily flammable. I mean, like there, um, Ben Rich talks about in his book Skunk Works that there used to be like vats of it, and they'd have new guys like mixing it or some shit, and someone else would come up, light a cigarette, and then throw it in there, and it wouldn't do anything. It would just like water. I mean, you really couldn't light it. You couldn't light it with a blowtorch. As a matter of fact, you had to use a TEB triethylborane, which itself they had two Buick engines. That somehow it was with, they used the engine, they're called start carts. They'd use these two Buick engines that somehow, I have no idea how this worked because I'm retarded, but is that with the triethyl boring, it was like a green flame. They'd use that to light the JP7. And that's what would start the SR-71. And, um, fuck, where was I going with that? Fuel, JP7, flammable. I have no idea where I was going with that. Pentagon working hard, deriving pleasure. There we go. Is It takes a lot to start, but once you start it, you can run a Blackbird. I found this in several, several times in college that if you pushed it far enough, if you cut out all video games, TV, everything, and you just pushed... Wake up, exercise, cold shower, meditate, study, meditate, study, meditate, bum, 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 limit the calories. You're always hungry, literally and figuratively, go to sleep, wake up the next morning, do it again, do it again, do it again. Never take time off. Don't sit on Reddit. Don't sit on Facebook. Nothing. Just work, work, work. If you did that, I found it took about 10 to uh, maybe 12 to 14 days. If you did that, it was a lot like the the Buick start carts. You would start to derive pleasure from the work. So for 14 days, it was just, I mean, you might be interested in the information, but let's be honest, it, it's, it was a bitch. You didn't want to do it. Thank God for stimulants. But I found if you just pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, it was like a sustaining nuclear reaction. That probably would have been a much easier analogy than the start carts. But it... <laughs> It started, you know, think Doc Ock in uh, Spider-Man 2, the power of the sun in my hands, you know, and it starts sucking in all the metal from New York. It was like that, and it started, you started to crave it. That's all you wanted to do was study. You wanted to get better. You know, it's like uh, if you ever do speed runs on a video game level, and you just get better, and you're trying to shave off tenths of a second, hundredths of a second. It was like that. But the thing was, is it wasn't like a stable reaction in that, one night of not sleeping well, uh, if you went out and drank, if you just took a day off and went and just, you know, smelled the flowers, it would completely fuck it up and you couldn't stay in that. Yeah, so it was a lot, actually, it was a lot like nuclear fusion. We, we couldn't sustain it. We could get it for a short amount of time. Um, and so it was very useful for if you could get it going. And it was always very interesting when you got it going because you would just start to go over the top. And... But I don't think it's sustainable. You know, I think it's like, 
it's like afterburners on a fighter jet. Like you can fucking get the shock diamonds and and just really get going. And like the F twenty two can super cruise, but I mean you can really only go full throttle for not long. Um, so I was always interested in how could I take that edge to the next level. And to me, it was using nootropics, even if it just replenished the, I don't know, cerebral spinal fluid or glucose or whatever the fucking raw material for making, uh, was it Gleon? Is it Gleons? Glia? Um, anything to just give my brain a, a leg up. And I do think it worked. However, it's not sustainable. So I'd say all that to say that I was interested in drugs. And there's something called like a drafinil, A-D-R-A-F-I-N-I-L. It's also called Olmaphon. It was um it was originally designed for uh, Air Force pilots going on super long flights. Primarily, I think like the F-117 and the B-2 bomber. I don't know when it was invented, but it was called like a it was like a Ugoric. E-U-G-O-R-I-C, if I recall correctly, and I think it was a French word, um, or it was derived from a French word, but it meant like peaceful wake, or it was like focused wakefulness, and it was, it was not at all like a Ritalin or an Adderall or a caffeine, like a caffeine jacked you up, but I found that wasn't really focus. I found Ritalin or Adderall would focus me like a laser caffeine was like turning up the brightness of the laser or perhaps maybe adding an, a battery so that it lasted longer that's what she said that's actually that is what she said she added a battery to make it last longer sex jokes i'm 30 but caffeine was yeah it would either make it so like a you know late uh ritalin or caffeine sorry ritalin or adderall we'll just say ritalin there's all, obviously there's Ritalin, Adderall, Vyvanse, Focalin, Concerta. There's all of them, and everyone will argue one versus the other. I kind of think they're all the same. Some people will die on a hill that they're not the same. I think they're all the same in that we find what works best for us. My subjective Ritalin might be equal to your subjective Adderall. I personally don't like Adderall. It made me a little too anxious. Um, Maybe too horny, honestly. Um, But it's fun, though. But those are like, if I had this, like, oh, like these diffuse lights I have. Shout out, little brother. Thank you for the ring lights. It's like these diffuse lights I have. Ritalin turned them into a narrow beam. Caffeine was like turning up the brightness of the beam. And again, or maybe just the uh, duration of the beam. So these were those were sort of the two categories I had of like, uh, and then you could find all sorts of. So again, just like you have all sorts of focus uh, meds, you have your Ritalin, your Adderall, your Vyvanse, Concerta, Focalin. Those are all your laser focus. You could also have different battery types: a caffeine, um, um, not DXM. That's the not not DMX the rapper, not DXM. That's what's in Robitussin. There's something else that was in, I don't know if anyone listening to this, you remember Jack, Jack, uh, Jack 3D, that pre-workout supplement, it had a geranium in it, which was, I think, called DMAA, dimethylamylaline. I think that's, that's what it was, but that, that had stimulating effects. Um, there's something called Sinephrine, S-Y-N-E-P-H-R-I-N-E. Um, but I, and it, it came from 
I think it came from like the skin of oranges. It sounds like that's what you know. Have you ever taken a skin of an orange and and like squeezed it and it pops up all that mist? To me, if that mist had a word, it would be cinephrine. Or if you could take cinephrine and what would cinephrine? If if cinephrine looked like something, what would it look like? You know, like what does peace look like? Peace to me is <sighs> peace to me is the is a is a, the first cool night of fall, but it's where it's still warm during the day. It's in the evening, the sun's behind the trees, but it's still plenty bright, and there's just like a the light lapping of waves at a la- on a lake before it turns to glass. That's peace. If I could put peace in a word or in a vision, that's what it is. Cinephrine sounds like the shit that you pop from an orange skin, orange peel. Um, not important, but man, these these solo rants really are the 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 rants of a madman. And I don't say that in some like oh, I'm a madman, I'm a magic. I mean, they really have no direction. I mean, it's just me talking to myself. But goddamn, if I don't have some of the most fun doing these things, I fucking love them. <laughs> They're so much fun. But Cinephrine, um, I think they later found that to have cardiac, it could give you cardiac arrest. So, I mean, eh, you know, that whole thing. Caffeine, DMAA, Cinephrine. I think there's some other, other stimulants. Um, now, obviously, and these are not all nootropics. I mean, there's things like creatine. Technically, I think they're finding it has nootropic benefits. I mean, you can take arginine, right? A vasodilator. There's, again, all the all the different fatty acids and stuff. Those are nootropics and like... Whereas, like, Ritalin turns the light into a laser and caffeine or DMAA or cinephrine increases the brightness of the laser and the duration of the laser. Like, fish oil... Uh, sulforaphane, alpha-GPC, phosphatidylcholine, uh, coenzyme Q10, alpha-lipoic acid. Um, there's another one, alpha-lipoic acid, and fuck. Um, what was the other one? There's, like, two that, like, the first longevity medication, medication, a supplement was called Juvenon. This is going to drive me crazy. I remember... Remember when that came out, I was in like middle school and I was like, why are we not all taking this so we can live longer? Little did I know that I was, no way is that, is it, does it still exist? (laughs) Oh shit. Yeah. Juvenon. Jesus Christ. I saw this in like 2003. What is in Juvenon? J-U-V-E-N-O-N. Juvenon. Please sponsor me. Um, products. It was alpha lipoic acid. What was the original? I think this is it. Alpha lipoic acid. What? Come on. What's the other one? What's the? What the fuck is in it? Ingredients. Come on. Come on. Come on. Where is it? Acetyl L-carnitine. Damn it! I knew it. Alpha lipoic acid and acetyl L-carnitine. Things like those. Uh, all the, the all the phosphatidyls. The the P H O S P H A T I D Y L dashes. So the phosphatidyl cholines, the phosphatidyl serines, the pho- I think there are a couple other ones. Um, serine S E R I N E. Um, yeah, all the cholines, uh, all the fish oils, all the fatty acids within the fish oils. <sighs> Fuck, I don't remember what else was in them. There was a ton of shit. Um, green tea extract, I think was one, uh, resveratrol from, a, a red wine. Um, 
uh, lion's mane mushroom was one i think q certain turmeric um there are all sorts of shit that another reason why i stopped taking them was one was money but two was also um i think all those combined only gave me it was like a probably like a half a percent or a one percent increase so when I wasn't trying to get into med school after I got in and just didn't know what to do, I don't know what to do with my hand, tricky Bobby. There's really no point in continuing to do them because it used to be where like waking up 30 minutes earlier was a considerable edge. Taking a cold shower versus a hot shower was a considerable edge. It's, I was fine honing, you know, like a formula one racer where it's like the amount of aluminum used in the hubcap and the density of the alloys can give you a thousandth of a second edge up. But if you're not, if you're not concerned about, you know, how quickly, you, you know, if you show up a minute late to the race, you're like, sorry guys. And you got a donut and you're sitting in it. You're not someone that's worried about the thousandths of percentile points. Sorry. You're not someone that's worried about a tens of, of percentile points. So why get concerned over the thousands? It's diminishing returns. That's one reason why I stopped. Two, it's um, be a money. Three, then this is a recent, this is probably in the last two years I've concluded this. I haven't taken all this stuff since like 2013. And that's not something like, oh, I don't do I do not do the drugs anymore. No, I mean, I just, they're just supplements. You could buy them at Walgreens. Some of them you have to order online. But even then you can get from like GNC or something. Um, money was one. Two, I also just kind of spiraled downwards into drugs and self-hatred after my brother. Yeah, I think that was part of it, is I kind of didn't want to live forever after that. I was like, I'm suicidal. Like, Why am I trying to take alpha-lipoic acid to decrease my life by three months after 80 years? So it was money was one. Two, it, there wasn't an edge. What was I trying to do? Three was just kind of suicidal. F- uh, four was... And I had this realization probably in like 2016. So those first three realizations were like 2014. This fourth realization was probably like 2016. I was listening to uh, just one of the doctors that goes on Rogan. 2016 was like the last, I think I stopped regularly listening to Rogan at like episode 9-11 with Alex Jones. Not that it's related. I'd love to that episode. But that's about the time I stopped regularly. No, I listened to a Duncan Trussell in fall 2016, like August 2016. So it was probably 2017, but there was a woman, she's been on there a lot. She's, uh, she's all about, uh, she's, I think she's a doctor. Um, I know she had a baby. She was like pregnant in 2017 on the podcast. Is it Rhonda? Not Rhonda Rousey. Nasty woman. Um, but she, she was saying how a lot of these things you buy, like they don't, there's no there's really no regulation on them. So you might be paying for sulforaphane, the active, the, the, the antioxidant, anti-carcinogenic, anti-carcinogenic compound in broccoli. You might be paying for a sulforaphane extract, but is that stuff heat sensitive? If it's shipped in a FedEx truck, did, did that, and it, you know, got, and it went across Texas, did that destroy any active compound in it? So now you're just getting, it's not dangerous, but now you're paying 20 bucks to take pulverized broccoli. And you don't even have the benefit of broccoli. Imagine eating Brussels sprouts and not at least getting the nutrients. So that was kind of one reason I was like, there's no real reason to spend money on this stuff. I don't know what I'm getting. I mean, if you have big dick money, I mean, you could probably just 
own the entire supply chain. If I did that, I would do it. But it was just like, I don't even know what I'm getting. You know, and some of this, I mean, what, how old is it? So it's, again, it's diminishing returns. It's this tiny edge up. And when I first started it, it was definitely more of like a Ray Kurzweil thing. I was like, I want to live forever. But as it went on, I was like, this is a useful tool to, um, this is a useful tool to, to get a, a leg up as pre-med. And it stopped becoming a live forever thing. I kind of started getting focused on like, well, if I become a physician and have the job security of a doctor, that will probably have a greater effect on my longevity just because of my income, what I can afford to eat, medical intervention I can afford. And as the years go on and technology progresses, can I afford stem cell therapy? Can I afford tissue regeneration? Can I afford blah, blah, blah. So it's... I, I kind of became like, it's this isn't what's going to push my life forever. What's going to push my life forever is just a higher quality of life through a higher income. Um, probably also killed off by being a doctor and working that hard. But, so that was the fourth, was it's, you know, do I even know what I'm getting? And the fifth was, um, and I would say this is like the last year, year and a half realization I've had. And again, I haven't taken any of these nutrients since like 2013, but was, um, what's the side effect? Do I know what is in all of these? Most of these are probably harmless, but if you're taking like 50 different, you know, supplements a day, are you going to be that one in 20,000 case that these combine to form some toxic metabolite? And then you just so happen to be the dumb kid who makes like a local news story died from fish oil, you know? Again, kind of counterintuitive. I have to pee so bad. I was so thirsty last night. I decided not to drink, not sexually, eh, kind of sexually, but I was so thirsty that I decided not to drink water and then I exercised and uh, now I now I have to pee a lot. Again, why I'm not a tier one operator. <laughs> so, um, 30 minute mark, we'll be right back. Back, make sure to cut that up. That was a minute and 40 seconds? Jesus. I never realized that's how long the pee breaks were. Oh, he's in my mind. I thought they were like 30 seconds. It was a minute and 40. Okay, I can see where that's annoying if you're listening. All right. Um, I don't know where the fuck we were going with all that drugs, something. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Anyways. I don't Where the fuck was I going with all that? Drugs, using a leg up. Fuck, I was explaining, like, the tiers of something, the levels of, is it useful, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember, and frankly, I don't really care anymore. Um, Drugs, Psychopharmacology, In Conclusion, Blitzed by Norman Oler is a good book. Learned a lot about it that I didn't know. Perhaps that is the end game of Blitzed, is you keep pushing and pushing and pushing for a leg up to the point where there are diminishing returns, and not only that, but they actually start to become self-defeating and destroying and fuck you up fuck you up um um yeah probably what it is something like that anyway so 1983 by robert down it's a good book talked about strategic defense initiative which so i said that entire 30 minute rant to say in some books you learn something interesting about something new that you thought you knew about 
in conclusion, psychopharmacology through the book Blitzed. I'm not going to do that rant again, but for Raven Rock by Gary Graff, I thought I already knew about most of the bunkers, and I already thought I knew the upper limits of nuclear weapons, or I should say the upper historical limits in that what they actually reached, the 50 megatons, which was actually 57 megatons, our bomba. Everybody knows it was actually supposed to be 100 megatons, but decided not to do that because the pilots couldn't outrace it. I don't think that's why the Soviets didn't give a fuck. I think they were concerned that they might actually kill themselves if they did it. Um, I knew that. Uh, I knew Edward Teller wanted to build a 10,000 megaton bomb called it. It was the 10 uh, gigaton bomb called the backyard bomb because you can set it off in your backyard and you can take out someone on the other side of the world. It requires no delivery. Um, not unlike Dr. Strange loves, um, Dr. Strange loves, uh, you take 50 to a hundred, 100 megaton bombs salted with cobalt, thorium G you string them together. It's the whole purpose of the doomsday weapon, is to tell people. Colonel Khan, but wing attack plan R. So, God, that's a great movie. What I didn't know about was that what they were planning to fence against. So NORAD... NORAD primarily, I mean, it has a, has the electromagnetic shell. It's got like a steel casing. It's the bubble inside of the granite mountain that they try and mount, mount, try and mountain, don't you know? It's a, it's, they had to build a concrete sphere with, um, like drillings. They had to get a guy named, uh, Dr. Livingston and not Dr. Livingston, I presume. That guy was in Africa and about a century earlier. But it was another Dr. Livingston who was halfway between quoting one of the engineers, um, halfway between a, a, um, a, a, um, fuck halfway between an excavator and an artist. He was someone that you would use for like a Mount Rushmore knew the properties of rock and knew, um, but also had like the artistic skill to do something with finesse. So you kind of had to know both worlds. You weren't just blowing apart a mountain to put a highway through, but you also weren't like, you know, perhaps carving like a small stone figurine where you maybe didn't need to understand how, you know, cause it's not a, it's not a scaleless fractal like water. It doesn't fractal. Well, I think water does fractal equally. Something's fire. If you look at a flame versus a piece of paper on fire versus a log on fire versus a bonfire versus a, um, a, uh, a localized forest fire versus an entire country, uh, state on fire. The flame acts differently at different scales. It's not scalable. Um, I know waves, I believe waves are scalable, but I don't think the properties of water are. Again, if I dump out my water bottle, water, my water bottle, if I dump out my water bottle, and you watch it splash on the ground versus if I dump out a bucket versus if I empty a an above ground swimming pool versus if a water tower breaks versus if a dam breaks versus if a Randall Carlson um, uh, dryer young, younger dryas impact where the entire North Pole is melted in an instant the the uh, the levels of waves that doesn't look the same you know. 
so like you got to use cgi for something like deep impact or the or the day after tomorrow where the wave comes and destroys manhattan you can't just get a model of manhattan a foot wide and dump water on it because it just won't use that visual in your mind think of a model of manhattan the size of like a laptop you just got your twin towers at one end and your fucking central park at the other foot wide that's what she said it's foot wide that is what she said and you just dump a water bottle on it use that image in your head you can see a lot of surface tension cohesion uh the bubbles the bubbles are going to rise really fast relative to the tower sizes a, a bubble doesn't rise the height of the empire state building a second if you submerged your your foot wide model into a uh, water tank like a fish tank bubbles coming up would go up the whole surface it go up from the bottom of the top in like two seconds a, a, a bubble wouldn't clear the height of the empire state building in two seconds so it's not scalable whereas i think waves although they maybe they take different uh forms when they break you know is it is it a wave in a bathtub with like a, you know your toddler is it a wave in a lake is it a wave in the ocean is it a tsunami is it a whatever uh, latoya bay the one where like half a mountainside fell into a like where half a mountainside fell into um some bay latoya if that's how you say it in alaska and for a brief moment there was a 1700 foot tall wave look it up it's fucking insane as in i think it was in 1958 but those waves the those i don't think those are but i think i think waves in terms of like the it's the like the propagation of energy through matter or across matter i think that just a wave moving i'm pretty sure that is fractal and that is it's just it's the same at every level um I don't think it's the same for rock. So someone making a small rock figurine wouldn't necessarily have the same tactics and knowledge and experience and approaches as someone that's destroying a mountain to put a highway through. Now, what if you have to do something unique like in Mount Rushmore or where they opened up? I'm finding my voice doing that thing where it sounds like you're a little nervous. And then, and I really didn't know. I don't know why it's doing that. Mount Rushmore. And then maybe I just get passionate about NORAD. Fuck it. Maybe I just get passionate about NORAD. Eat a dick. Fuck you. That's why. What's up? Inside NORAD, when they opened it up, they they found that the core was rotten. I didn't know mountains could be rotten. And it's that sounds like I'm like a that sounds like I'm an adult mountain, and I'm talking about like a a misbehaving child mountain. I didn't know mountains could be rotten. But today I learned something new. Shame on you. How dare you? But I didn't know mountains could have rotten cores, but they did have a, they said, whatever that means, I don't know what that means, but they said that there's a guy that says it in a documentary about NORAD on a superstructures on the Discovery Channel. It's a great 48 minute documentary. Um, but the way this guy says it, he goes, we opened up the mountain and we found that it was rotten in the core. And it sounds like he's about to start singing a jingle. But they said that the center was rotten. So they had to construct this concrete sphere. But before they did that, they brought in this guy Livingston. Who said that, like, no, you're not going to, like... Because they, you could somehow trick the mountain into thinking it had a core. Obviously, a mountain doesn't think. 
but there's a way that you could you could put these spikes in the rock and torque them up whatever the fuck that means i never understood torque in physics but there's a way you can if you put it in like a whole array of these it, it pushes out an equal for or, a t- or a, it pulls and pushes on all of these all these spikes in such a way that it acts as one maybe almost like a chinese finger trap if you will i, 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 I don't know how to work clearly i don't understand it well enough because if i did i'd be able to explain it well but they had to put in all these th- all these all these like spikes and they torqued them up again whatever that means um and then inside of that they put a concrete shell which they had to construct outside of norad disassemble it put it inside while they're building norad they discover the effects of emps which to me is kind of weird why didn't they figure that out on july 16th 1945 why didn't they figure that out on august 6th august 9th what about operation crossroads but for whatever it might have been starfish prime when they learned about emps because they put a 1.2 megaton bomb in in like low orbit or maybe just high altitude i said that weird low orbit low orbit very wide but they put it in high altitude and they found out that it like knocked out all the electronics from like honolulu to like san francisco and they're like yo you gotta love the military because whereas our first instinct is like that's not good the military was like do that again what was that um but they found out about the effects of emps which I mean, disable all electronics. Well, geez, if you need an array to make sure that there's not a boob, B-O-O-B, bolt out of the blue attack from the Soviets over the North Pole. Man, taking out taking out electronics is... Um, I'm actually going to have on a woman tomorrow to talk about EMP bursts. Get excited, motherfuckers. It's going to be exciting, boy. Um, but yeah, so they constructed this whole... I don't think they built the traditional Faraday cage in it, where it's, I think, the most... I think they've found since that the best Faraday cage is... I used to, th- I used to think that the only Faraday cage you could make was copper. Um, and, like, the first time I saw the use of it was in the movie Transcendent Man with Johnny Depp. But apparently from this documentary about norad on the discovery channel they found that um i think it also you can do it with steel which i didn't know maybe it's just any sufficient amount of metal um no excuse me i think the buildings are metal so you have norad hollowed out you have all those spikes in there that are that are torqued up inside of that you have a concrete shell in case it does start to crack and then inside of that i believe you have a copper shell or copper like wiring in a mesh so you have this whole dome inside right it's just like a normal case you've made it a little more complex you've put the spikes in you put the concrete shell you put the faraday shell but now again you you just have an opening inside Inside of it is um, a bunch of individual structures made out of steel. This uh, like a like the bottom of a ship, kind of just like perfect sheathed, and they all lie on top of uh, one thousand. No, there's something like one thousand. There's a number. I forget what it, it's either. There's a thousand springs, or each spring is a thousand pounds. I forget what it is. Um, 
but the guy talking about it looks exactly like the guys from the guy from the dry eyes video but they all sat on top of these springs which fuck I don't remember they each were they used one ingot of steel or something big ass fucking springs and they had all these multi-floor buildings rest on these springs and all these buildings are made out of uh, steel as like an additional Faraday level or a Faraday shield and they sit on top of these springs so they can move if there's a nuclear blast you have all these levels of shit again which is why I call that the NORAD vault because it has all these levels um that would not survive from a nuke, unfortunately. Which is why I have off-site hard drives to hopefully get away from if a nuke takes out one, I won't take out the others. That's how big my ego is, that I'm more concerned about taking out the saving the podcast from a nuclear war than anything else. Fuck you, I don't care. But with NORAD, that despite all of that, the I guess I, I as soon as I'm not gonna go into a I'm not going to go into a rant about what I learned in Raven Rock, like I did about Blitzed, because I just went on the whole psychopharmacology rant. <clears throat> Yet I now here I am. So, despite all of those, all of those uh, tears of, I guess... Man, mental note, I, I do need to start editing out pee breaks. I didn't realize that they took that long. That's got to be really annoying if you're listening to a podcast and there's a minute long or a hundred second long pee break. Yeah, Tommy, we know. I'm sorry. I actually am sorry. But so you have all these tiers in NORAD. But its primary, um, its primary defensive mechanism was the equivalent of we'll take our chances truly it's called cep circular error probability and it was the probability that a russian missile at the time of norad construction would probably not be accurate enough to put a a direct hit on norad because with explosives um as the diameter or circumference of the blast increases, its overpressure goes down exponentially. So if you're, if a nuke hits one mile from you or a nuke hits two miles from you, if it's two miles from you, it's not necessarily half as weak. I'm retarded, so I can't do the math, but I mean, it might be something like 20 times weaker, right? So it's not, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not like scale. It's not like getting in a car crash at 10 miles an hour versus 20 miles an hour. It's like getting in a car crash at 10 miles an hour versus like 200 miles an hour. As you get closer, the power of it goes up exponentially because it's, it's it's a finite explosion going at a... a, a it's, the area is going up exponentially, right? Because area is always squared. Thanks, Tom. It's actually going, I think, going cubic, right? Because it's also going up. Actually, that is true because the bigger the we the weapons get, they realize that, like, you're because the Earth isn't flat. I know we all wish it was for whatever reason. I'm not sure what the conspiracy behind that is. What? Who's gaining? What's the edge? No pun intended. But as the megatonnage goes up, it, the uh, more of the explosion actually punches through like the atmosphere into space. 
So you're wasting more and more and more that's not even going at the earth. You're just you're blowing it out into space because it goes up. Yeah, yeah, it's, right. So it's not exponential. It's it's well, it is exponential, but it's not squared. It's cubed because it's a three dimensional explosion. So NORAD couldn't survive a direct hit from a Soviet weapon. Not even like a Tsar Bomba, but just from like a 1.2 megaton from like the Sarmat 18s, the Satan 18, or the Satan 2s, the SS 18s. So these big old fucking Mac daddies of ICBMs. And it was because the power was just so great that it wouldn't survive. It might survive the EMP, but I think that's the least of your worries when a 1.2 megaton warhead's going off outside. So despite all of this, the the real the real safety mechanism was I don't know, boss. They they're pretty far away. What do you think, Bob? Ah, eh, they're pretty far away. I'm not sure how accurate they are. We'll get close, but they won't kill us. Well, we'll call that command and control, and that's what the that's what NORAD will rely on. I get okay. But um, and when and when Reagan learned that, actually, when Reagan learned that, which is what I'm learning from 1983, the book. But it's not where I learned that. I learned that in the Dead Hand. So the whole purpose of this is I was trying to come up with some unique piece of information which I've learned from 1983. And clearly, I haven't hit on it yet. I did with Norman Oler and Blitz, and I'm getting to there with Raven Rock. So let's go back to Raven Rock. They circular error probability. When Reagan learned that, he was terrified. That factoid, sure, it's in 1983, but it was also in um, Dead Hand. I think it was also in Command and Control. I don't, maybe not. I don't remember. Point is, is it, it's been in other books I've read. When Reagan learned that, he was terrified. Okay, so I thought I knew a good about amount. I thought I knew a good amount about NORAD. Um, and I thought I knew a good amount about nuclear weapons. 57 megatons designed to be 100. Edward Teller, 10 gigatons. But Edward Teller, Edward Teller never actually, um, it was never designed. Like, the 100 megaton bomb was designed. I think Edward Teller just did some, like, loose calculations and said the 10 gigaton was feasible. But it, I don't think it was designed, right? It's like if I said we can put a skyscraper on Mars. Like, it's not designed in the same way that, like, the Jetta Kingdom Tower is designed, but just not completed. So, what I didn't know, and this is what I learned from Ravenrock, these two, a lot of factoids, but two very neat factoids were the DUCK, the D-U-C-C, the Deep Underground Command Center, which is also talked about extensively in the book Nuking the Moon and Other Cold War Projects That Stayed on the Drawing Board by Dr. Vince uh, Vince Houghton, Houghton, H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N, Dr. Vince Houghton, 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 who is the curator for the National Spy Museum and now uh, does something else. And he was on the podcast. He's a really fucking cool dude. Go get his book. Nuking the Moon is fantastic. Actually, I need to email him. I would love to have him on to talk about his other book, Nuclear Spies. Nuclear Spies. Nuclear Spies. Huffton. Um, but he and Garrett Graff both talked about 
the DUCC. What is the DUCC, Tom? Glad you asked. Thank you. Take a seat. The DUCC was planned to be 3,500, 3,500 to 5,000 feet. That might be, it might be 3,500 to 4,500. Fuck it. We'll call it 5,000. Actually, fuck it. We'll call it 3,000 because let's go on the super. I know it was at least 3,500 feet. Well, now I'm not sure. Let me just read about the, I guess I don't even want to butcher it because it deserves its own. Deserves its own deep underground command center. If anybody's listened to the beginning of the solar rant until now and not closed out of this, please comment. That's. Yeah, the first person to comment regarding this, I will send a free sweatshirt. Yes, I will do that. I will mail it to you. But you have to have watched the beginning. From the beginning. There's no way I can really verify that. Fuck. Never mind, scratch that. We'll have to come up with a new challenge. That's what I'll do. I'll put in little, like... Actually... Well, no, because I'm going to edit out the pee break, so I can't... Fuck. Um... Fuck. First per- Uh, whatever. Um... Yeah, if you watch from the beginning till now... I'll send you a free sweatshirt, but you have to comment about it. I was going to edit out the pee break, so it's going to fuck up the timestamp, but technically we're at... We're at 55 minutes now, but if I edit out the B-break, we'll be at like 53 minutes. Fuck it. Whoever comments about this thing that I'm talking about right now, the fact that I'm saying comment, if you comment, go choose a sweatshirt of your liking and I'll send it to you. One person, limit one. The Deep Underground Command Center. It's like when you'd write a long paper and you're not even sure if your professor's grading it. So on like page 11, you just write in the middle of a sentence, are you reading this? And then keep going and see whether or not they even circle it. If they do, okay. If they don't, then, you know, the whole thing's fucked and it doesn't matter. (sighs) The Deep Underground Command Center, the DUCC, sometimes called the Deep Underground Command and Control Site. What a... Important note it was a United States military installation that was proposed on January 31st, 1962, to be quote a very deep underground center close to the Pentagon, perhaps three to four thousand feet down. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. Three thousand to four thousand feet down. The Burj Khalifa is two thousand seven hundred and twelve feet tall. The World Trade Center, the original uh, uh, World Trade Centers to the roofs was, uh, I think, 1,354. No, fuck. What were the World Trade Centers? 1,300 to uh, uh, Sears Towers, I believe, 1,454. Sears Tower height, 1,450, okay. Um, Twin Tower height. Twin Tower height. Um, They were 1,360. I am apparently getting worse at my, uh, man, this, this podcast is going off into the weeds, but 3,004 feet, 3,000 to 4,000 feet down protected with stand direct hits by high yield weapons endure about 30 days in a post attack period, meaning it was buttoned up and it had all the mechanisms to continue on existing. That's an important thing to note, right? Direct hits, direct hits. NORAD, NORAD wasn't. (laughs) 
yes, NORAD is in the center of a mountain, and it has all of that granite around it, but it's not the same as being underground, right? It's like an above-ground swimming pool. It's not the same as a swimming pool, you know? It's just a little... Granted, one's summer fun, one's nuclear war, but I think roughly the same. They both result in burns and kids screaming. So... Being under a mountain, it's apparently it's the overpressure from a nearby bomb can still rock the whole thing. Whereas if you're underground, again, I think it comes down to that sort of like cube square, square cube loss where you're so far underground and you're protected by the whole earth, right? Because a mountain, you just blow it up close enough, you're going to rock the whole mountain. But the farther down you go underground, right, if a blast is three-dimensional, that blast is being dissipated throughout all of the crust that you, that is now between you and it. So if you're like a mile underground, it's now being dispersed in a mile through solid earth. And I think that's right. If there's any engineers listening to this, pulling your fucking hair out, tell me, and I'm sorry. But with this is, because I think Shyman, I think that was like 1,300 feet of granite, which is insane. It's like a World Trade Center of granite, which is insane. But I mean, it, I don't think it holds a candle to three to 4,000 feet of earth. I mean, at that point, you're using the entire like tectonic plates. Oh, that could be wrong too. But you're using big old swaths of land of earth to absorb the blow. Not like a Scarface like drop site, but you get what I mean. The other thing about it is, yes, yeah, so direct hits, so that's one thing. So you don't have to worry about circular error probability. Because circular error probability, I mean, man. Well, then you could also argue that circular error probability is the chance that they're they're going to hit it not aiming for it, right? Soviet missiles aren't, you know, they're not accurate, so they're not going to hit us. Well, if you're shooting a rifle and you're aiming at the bullseye and you know that you lined up and it hits a foot above, you're just going to aim a foot below. And I know that's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily equate to, like, transcontinental orbital orbital ballistics but I mean fuck if there's you know if I put if I put 10 balloons 100 feet from me and fire a shotgun I'm I might hit one if I don't I'll just maybe move in an inch or move a foot just to change the scatter eventually I'm gonna hit one and the thing is, with nuclear weapons, every single ballistic missile had a was a had a it's called a bus B U S that contained MIRVs, M I R V S, multiple independent reentry vehicles. Granted, they were all uh, targetable, but if you wanted to, you could just use that as a shotgun, a nuclear shotgun from space coming in at Mach twenty three. I mean, that's some insane shit. So if you miss the first time, couldn't you just aim another and it's not like oh it's the cold war it's not like oh they've compiled i've got one spiky thing of hair back here that looks pretty retarded barber i know my barber sometimes watches my podcast if you are watching this it's on you i'll talk about that in person i don't want to have to do that here um i'm kidding but if you do that I mean, couldn't you just fire several and you'd probably hit it? And furthermore, couldn't you just do something like the uh, the explosive, uh, the implosion type 
bomb, right? Because the gun type is the one we used on Hiroshima, but the implosion type is the one we used on Nagasaki, where you put a bunch of explosives around a core and then set them all off at the same time, and the shockwaves act as like a better hammer than any hammer ever could. What if you could you not just shoot a bunch of nukes around NORAD and have that same implosion type? Man, that's just levels of irony using implosion type bombs to <laughs> using implosion type bombs to cause an implosion in a mountain with a core full of metal that controls other nukes. So with the duck, the DUCC, it was just deep down. That's insane. It could take direct hits. So with NORAD, I mean, how safe are you really feeling? Right? I mean, how safe is that really? You just kind of, you figure they're not going to... What about smuggling a bomb into America and then driving there in a flatbed truck that says Walmart on the side? Well, you can't get within so many miles of NORAD. What if it's a hundred megaton bomb? Does it matter? So that doesn't, you know, it's wearing a bulletproof vest and then assuming like dumb and dumber that they're just not going to aim for your head. And if they did, they won't hit it. That's not, man, that's a, I don't like those odds. But then again, all of World War or all of the Cold War is predicated upon. They're not going to kill us. Why? Because if they kill us, we'll kill them. Man, that's a, that's a lot of faith. So the idea that circular error probability is what protects you, to me, is bonkers. If you can take a direct hit, that's like a new level of power, right? That's that's a new confidence. Not only that, three to 4,000 feet down. So Tommy, we're talking about the DUCC and NORAD, but why did you bring in megatonnage earlier? Glad you asked, retard. It was designed, let's continue reading... The DUCC would have been built as an austere 50-man or expanded to a 300-man, uh, excuse me, or expanded to 300-man version with the former built to permit extension of the latter, blah, 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 blah. It was, do- it, was, it was designed to withstand multiple, okay, direct hits, multiple direct hits of 200 to 300 megaton weapons bursting at the surface 200 to 300 megatons putting on the surface putting outside the front door and letting those puppies off or just as insane a 100 megaton bomb a 100 megaton bunker buster going off at 100 feet below ground below excuse me below surface a bunker buster czar bomba or did it say you could take multiple yeah no sorry multiple bunker busters so multiple 100 megaton weapons at 100 feet below the surface or multiple two to 300 megaton weapons at the surface let alone the ones that normally detonate up you know air bursts 15 to 25 or 3500 feet i mean that is insane that's it's beyond comprehension directly below the pentagon too so you don't even have to fly it to colorado you just get in an elevator and say yeet i mean and I hope we have that. 
LBJ didn't build it. I think it was proposed under LBJ. Might have been. I think it might have been put together under Kennedy, but it wasn't like. I don't think it was. Right. Gary uh, Graff talks about. Well, so it was January first, January thirty first, nineteen sixty two. So it was proposed under Kennedy. was recommended to President Kennedy for fiscal year 1965. What? Shortly before his assassination, he was assa- Oh, it was recommended to Kennedy. So it was proposed on January 31st, 1962. It was proposed to Kennedy to be built in fiscal year 1965. It was proposed to him right before his death in 1963. So proposed in 1962. Okay. It was proposed on January 31st, 1962 to JFK to be built in year ni- in fiscal year 1965. That's just a weird way to word that. Right before his death. Well, January 31st, 1962 wasn't right before his death. That was almost two years before his death. Man, in true Pentagonese, they're getting they're getting me to to focus on non issues, the structuring of the sentence, and not the fucking Holocaust shelter. <laughs> but so the and so so what I learned in Garrett Gra- in, in what I learned in Garrett Graff, what I learned in Garrett Graff's Raven Rock was about the duck, the DUCC, and their belief that it could survive two to three hundred megaton weapons and one hundred foot uh one hundred foot one hundred megaton bunker buster weapons. Which means that they had to have thought that the Soviets were able to do that. Which means that if we thought they were capable of it. Either way, I think that means we had those weapons. And I can't, and I'll explain that. If by building this weapon, or by building this command center, to withstand those specs, says that we believe the Soviets we're at that time capable of producing those weapons. We have intel showing that they do have those weapons, or we had reason to believe that they were able that they were going to be able to construct them in the future. One of three probabilities: that they have them, that that we know. Sorry, that we know we know that they have them is number one. Number two is that um, we have reason to believe that they have them, and or that they're capable of having them. And three is that perhaps they are capable of building them in due time. That's the only reason why you would design something to those specs. If we have intel that they have them, we have reason to believe that they have them, or we believe that they will be able to have them, all three of those would point to us also having them. Because maybe it's not number one that we believe they have them. Maybe we have them. And so we believe that they're going to be able to make them. Or we know that they have them, so we're going to make them. Number two, we have reason to believe they have them. Maybe they're just extrapolating bomb tests. Which means that if we have reason to believe they have them, then we're going to fucking give ourselves a reason to create them. Or number three, if we think that they are soon going to be able to construct them, we're going to construct our own. So either way, I think the takeaway is is that we absolutely had two to 300 megaton warheads in our arsenal at one point, if not still. 
I mean, that's how the Cold War works, is you do what you think that there... We cannot have a mineshaft gap. Mineshaft gap. Which is insane. But that's, that's a takeaway I got from uh, Ravenrock, was, was the DUCC and um, those weapons. The takeaway from uh, Blitzed by Norman Oler was their use of drugs, uh, especially D9, which was just like an insane amount of like cocaine, you could all and meth. Um, and whereas the DUCC was proposed under Kennedy and then rejected under LBJ, Reagan went to NORAD, saw it, and said that we need the Strategic Defense Initiative to defend against it. And I don't remember where else I was going with this whole rant. So I think I was starting the rant by trying to go on a reason why I loved 1983. But now I can't really think of one because I'm not sure there's a reason to. I like the book so far, but I haven't learned anything new. There are none of these factoids that are blowing my mind. Like I talked about War State by Michael Swanson was all about the the factoid I got was JFK using a hypothetical where he chopped off his wife's head, which is odd, uh, from Ben Westhoff's original Gangsters, where I you know George H.W. Bush lived in Compton for two years. Like that's a fun factoid. I never knew these things. 1983 is really not offering me these these badass factoids. I just, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Where is it? Well, how come I'm not seeing it? Where's the, where are the goods? Where are the goods, brother? Hmm. I don't know. Um. Should this rant keep going? I mean, what else am I doing? Maybe. Hmm. Maybe, my son. Maybe. Have to edit this out too. One one eleven. So thirty minutes of one eleven. I gotta go to the bathroom.